This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. There must be something wrong with uh, Greg Wyshynski's piece here on uh, the best wingers in the NHL. I only see two Canadians in the top ten. I, I, I must be misreading this, or maybe there's there's been some type of mistake. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com. How come there's uh, only two uh, two Canadians in your top ten wingers and, that I'm reading here? What, the weird what part is the weird part is the Canadians are Shane Corson <laughs> and Brian Savage. Uh, to actual Canadians. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Very good. Uh, what's going on, Wish? How you doing, pal? I'm good. That list wasn't too bad. The only the only beef I really had with the... And again, this is for those who don't know. The gimmick is that we ask 10 players, 10 executives for their top 10 players at each position. We group the left wings and the right wings into one uh, list because it's just way too complicated to try to parse out where all these guys play. Um, so the wingers list I thought was okay. The only quibble I would have with it personally is that I think that Matthew Kachuk probably is not the fifth best winger. I would probably say he's at least the third best winger, maybe even the second best winger, depending how you feel about him versus David Pasternak. Well, since the calendar flipped, you make the argument he is the best winger in the NHL. Like he's on a... All of a sudden, you know, January 1st hits and he's on a tear. I don't know what happened. You know, the old line, you know, he went to Lourdes and healed up, bathed in holy water, and he's come back. And it's like, oh, that's the Matthew Kachuk we're used to. And I'll be honest with you, since the new year, with all due respect to Nikita Kucherov and David Pasternak, et cetera, Mikko Rantanen, he's looked like the best winger in the league. Like yeah, last month and insane. a half, he's been the best winger in the NHL, flat, flat, like full out, full stop. Yeah, to set it up, so the top 10, Kucherov, Pasternak, Panarin, which actually I thought was a little high for him, but but I think that he's gotten a lot, a lot really? of love for... Well, I mean, when you think about... Okay, because the guys in the back of him are Rantanen and Kachuk. Yeah. I tend to believe both those guys are better than Panarin, if I'm being honest. See, the thing about Panarin is... I mean, I don't even know about that. I mean, his skill set is so high, and he's... You know, he's he's He's... Um... <sighs> the thing about Panarin... That and I, I don't want to say that the others don't because I do think that Kucherov makes Braden Point a better player. But the thing about Panarin is, you know, he's kind of this guy that if you have a problem, your solution is always well put him with Artemi Panarin. Right. If you have a problem with whatever player, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Columbus, or now the New York Rangers, oh, you know what? We can't get this guy going. Well, you have the easy fix. Just put him with Panarin. You know. We're sort of a couple of days out here now of the uh, Yarmer Yager celebrations in Pittsburgh, which mm-hmm. were great and wonderful and fun and, and all of it. And mm-hmm. you know, I remember you and I on the podcast, the old MVSW, talking about Yager and, you know, when we returned to the NHL, it almost as if like he was going through this like David Carradine Kung Fu thing, just sort of traveling the land and <laughs> yeah. teaching young hockey players the way of Yager, whether it was, you know, Giroux or Marchand or a 23-year-old Jamie Benn or like, it was like, is he just going to go team to team to team here spreading like Yager dust? Um, all over the NHL, one team, one team, and go through the entire league. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about Panarin. Like, I, I wonder if he becomes that guy one day who's just so skilled, so sublime, so talented, and so helpful to younger players. Like, think of all the great players that have, like, you know, the sort of, you know, skated in his wake here. And, you know, Alexi Lafreniere is the, is the latest one. I could see that, or I could see him becoming Alexei Kovalev. Where he just goes from you know team to team and, and is the <laughs> I don't you know, think yeah nitro nitro yeah, boost of offense. Yeah, thing about Kovalev was you were 
you were paying him for a season, but you'd he'd play like one out of every four games. Which, by the uh, way, the, ever told you about thing. about about why? It, but but I, I I stay away from using that word. I know uh, it's do. more like just took nights off. But here's the thing: I always found like it really worked for um, for Kovalev in Montreal and fans in Montreal appreciated him in the sort of you know the the shady side of the mountain years unlike any other market and mm. the theory that i had for the reason that that was a thing let me know what you think about this one montreal out of all the uh the cities in in the nhl uh montreal as a city is the most artistic now i apologize new york city i understand mm. but as far as an appreciation for art and artistry I put Montreal at the top, and they understand that whether it's sports or it's art or whatever, sometimes it's just not there, and the muse needs to be upon you. So they could put up with Kovalev taking a few games off because every three or four games, he would remind you just how great he was. And Montreal Canadiens fans were cool with that at that time. You buy it or no? I kind of buy it because I think it it speaks to the Guy Lafleur of it all. Like, you know, the idea of of someone with panache and flourish and, and the artistry of hockey uh, achieving a certain level of, of appreciation in that city that, that perhaps doesn't gain elsewhere. I, I can get down with that. I think, I, listen, I think Panarin's great. I do think, though, if you're going to make the argument of, like, what you know, how do we judge a winger? Does he make his teammates better? Then that's a real big argument in Pasternak's favor based on what we've seen this season in so far as like we can mm-hmm. throw any center out there and, and he's not going to miss a beat. The other guys, by the way, uh, Kaprizov was six. I do wonder if we gave the Erickson Eck Boldy Kaprizov line another month, <laughs> what that ranking would have looked like if we did the voting then. Cause that line, or a few more games or a few more bananas. Yeah. Uh, or a few more games against Vancouver. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. Marner's seventh right ahead of Nylander. Now the thing about Marner that was interesting on this list, he was fourth last year. Okay, Willie Styles not ranked last year, so I have a feeling mm-hmm. amongst the panelists you may have a Willie Nylander market correcting Mitch Marner situation happening in this ranking. And then the one that <laughs> one of the uh, people who voted on the list said the only real crime on this list occurred at number nine, which was Kyle Connor making the list, and then Brad Marchand <laughs> at ten. I don't. I, I agree with that. I mean, I don't. I think. I think Kyle Connor is a brilliant scorer. I, I would agree with the person in our ranking who said he may not be the best winger on his own team, uh, depending on what Nick mm-hmm. Ehlers is doing. But uh, him making the top yeah. ten over guys like, you know, Jason Robertson and Brady Kachuk, Jesper Bratt, Philip Forsberg, Mark Stone uh, was a, a Gensel. Like that, that was a bit of a surprise for me that he made the made the cut. So I'd be curious. I'm just doing this in my own head here now. I'm looking at this list and. How different do you think this list is if we're just focusing on skill and if we are just focusing on skill and even even to the point of just like remove the points, okay? Like it, just, just the name and the team and just focus on the skill. How high up is Philip Forsberg? Because to me, he's right up there. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, e- easily, easily. Um, I mean, he's he's a tremendously talented offensive player. I, I think that he could have easily made this top 10. Um, and and I, I'm not entirely sure why he did. And he actually was right behind. Robertson was 11th 
And then uh, Forsberg and Jesper Bratt were both tied behind Robertson. So, yeah, you and I are both in the in the bag for Philip Forsberg, not only because he's Love a, musta- a, a mustache king, but because he's I- incredibly skilled. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and yeah. you know, we throw around the old underrated term a lot, uh, but I would tend to believe that maybe he is vis-a-vis appreciation of the totality of his skill set versus those of the players that made the top five on this list. My favorite line, not like line in hockey, but like line in a column uh, this week so far comes from you. And oh, I had to pause and la- and laugh when I read it because I know you and I know what you're thinking when you wrote it. Let me read it to everyone listening and watching right now. Every NHL trade deadline, there's a player like Sean Walker. <laughs> I know exactly. I know exactly what the paragraphs next are going to all be about, and I know what's going on inside your brain as you write that. But every year there uh-huh. is a Sean Walker, and this year's version of Sean Walker is Sean Walker. It's the truth. And, um, like, uh, and, and by that I mean, like, yep. remember a couple of years ago when all of a sudden the entire hockey world was talking about David Savard, and you're like. Of course, yeah. Who is David Savard? <laughs> like, like I knew Sean but Walker, but you know King- what I? Yeah, what? but I thought that uh, I, I think I'll take that even further back. Do you remember a few years back at deadline when every all of a sudden out of nowhere everybody was all about Kyle Quincy? Remember oh, that one? Yeah. Uh huh. And then and then the one all after sudden, that was Nick. Boom, Nick everybody, Jensen. Remember that? Yeah, everyone like, had Nick, to have him. Nick, Nick <laughs> yes, Jensen Nick was the analytics everybody darling. Had to he have made. Him. Yeah, he made no money, right? And then so you get your Kyle yeah. Quincy, your Nick Jensen, your like I said, your David Savard. Yeah. Where again, no no disrespect to David Savard, but it's this amazing <laughs> thing that always happens in the trade deadline, where there's a, a defenseman of a certain type who's a UFA, he doesn't make a ton of money, and all of a sudden, roundabouts like December, when all these trade boards start getting published by myself and other places. All of a sudden, we're treating these guys like, like they're Chris Pronger, <laughs> like, like the final piece of the puzzle. <laughs> if we could only get into the Sean Walker business. <laughs> oh, there's a Matt Dumba away from winning the cup, just like yeah. when Berkey brought in Niedermeyer from New Jersey. You just need Matt Dumba. <clears throat> but it was funny talking um, to Walker about it. I, I I love talking to these guys around the deadline. You know, it's a stressful time, obviously, because like. There's so much in, yeah. inherent. Like you, you're on a. I mean, in Walker's case, you're on a team that's in a playoff spot at this moment. You don't want to up upheave your life. You're ready to do it maybe this summer, but you don't want to necessarily do it right now. Um, but he said something interesting when I talked to him about his sort of UFA trade deadline bell of the ball status, which is that he's got really good open lines of communication with his agent and with Flyers GM Danny Briere. So, like, as much as we mm-hmm. want to believe that these guys are monitoring. Sportsnet and and waiting for you know the the, the, the call to come in that they've been moved like for, yeah. for the most part these guys have a good sense going into deadline day what the deal is what the story is what percentage chance there is that they're going to move and then if they don't then then maybe it's a, a bit of a, a surprise and a relief do you have a gut on Sean Walker? Because here's my latest one that I wonder about. I wonder about. I wonder if Tampa is trying to get both him and Sealer. Mm. 
You wrote about that recently, right, Sean Walker? I want to say. Yeah, I, yeah. Last uh, on Sunday, just sort of trying to give like some sort of parameters, or trying to to you know try to to figure out what Philadelphia is thinking here. In that, like, I think when they made the when they made the trade with the Los Angeles Kings, probably in, in the in the back of Danny Briere. Uh, in the back of his mind, he's thinking like, okay, deadline approaching, we're rebuilding, he's a piece I can move, maybe I get a third-round pick for him, and it's a tidy bit of business here for the Philadelphia Flyers. But his play this year has taken him into a a different stratosphere where, you know, if it's only a third-round pick that the Flyers are getting, I bet that they say to themselves, well, the third-round pick is maybe he'll turn into a player, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get a first-round pick, that that pick is going to be a player. So you make that deal all day long. But if it's as much of a question mark as third, fourth, and fifth rounders are, you probably just hang on to them for the year. And maybe, depending on what happens with Ristolainen and the injury and the future, or maybe Travis Sanheim sliding over to the left side, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you just resign Sean Walker yeah. too. So it's just sort of, I just want to sort of give a, a sort of a greater sort of snapshot here because we're all just assuming that the Philadelphia Flyers are going to move them. And if they get a first round pick, I think they're going to move them. But yeah. if not, I, I wouldn't be so surprised if they hang on to him. Now, I do wonder about, again, Tampa with both the defensemen. I also do wonder lately about the Winnipeg Jets with Sean Walker. Mm-hmm. I think we all mm-hmm. wonder about Edmonton. Yeah, well, Edmonton for sure. I mean, I think the blue line is a place that needs to be addressed before the trade deadline for them. But um, I checked in on one name for Tampa that I thought would be interesting, uh, a Jan Ruda reunion. Um, and I've come to uh, hmm. find out that he is uh, probably staying in San Jose at this deadline uh, uh, for uh, various and sundry reasons. So checked in. My, Wanted to see the, I, the old Hedman Ruda combination yeah. back again, but uh, but no dice on that. Jan Ruda gave me, sorry, New York Rangers fans who are listening to this, gave me one of my favorite highlights of the season. Do you remember that overtime San Jose in New York when Jan Ruda turned into the one-man basketball pick machine? (laughs) And it was like, it was, was it's one of my, like, I want to ask you about the Byfield goal here in a second, but as far as, like, enduring images from this season that I will never forget is watching Jan Ruda essentially play basketball with the New York Rangers, like he picked Zibanejad twice. There was one other pick. Oh, Lafreniere was 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 the other pick. And I'm like, I can't believe this. Like nothing. I know the Red Wings were the masters of this in some ways under Todd McClellan. The L.A. Kings were too. But nothing as blatant as we saw with Jan Ruda no, a couple of months ago, just so, sort of standing with his arms crossed in front of Mika Zibanejad. You bought up the Flyers. I'm, I. I I spent a lot of time with them at the stadium series. I have a story coming out about them on, mm-hmm. on Friday. But the one one of the things that I, I was struck by, and I don't know if this is revision. I don't know if they're just like, look at us now, and now we can kind of like reframe the way things were in September. But like independent of each other, every flyer that I talked to about the perceptions of the team before the season and what they actually saw in their own locker room, they all kind of said the same thing, which is that we thought we were much better than we were being given credit for. And that we thought we were much, we were, we did not think that this was going to be a tank or a rebuild. And that like we had the players in this room to do the thing that we've done this year. And I don't know if that's just some rah-rah stuff. I don't know if that's just rallying around the cause. There is a certain amount of, of Philly attitude and the way that they were written off before the season and, and yeah. now have, uh, have had their come up yep. at least until this point. But it's always interesting to me when, when, you know, en masse, the media, the fans all 
are convinced of a team being one thing and then the perception inside the locker room is a 180 from that. And I kind of feel that that was the case with the Flyers this year. But there was one wild card to all of it that in a lot of ways was going to define whether the Flyers were successful or not. And I think that was, could Sean Couturier still play? Mm -hmm. We didn't know. Yeah. We didn't know. Like, you're gone that long with that injury and those surgeries. Like, I think legitimately, like... I think legitimately we look at the Philadelphia Flyers and maybe like, you know, the Konechny's of the world or the, the Farabies of the world or the Sandheim's of the world. But like, you know, screw that. No way. Everyone's writing us off. But like for good reason, mm-hmm. you know, like Sandheim was, you know, one, you know, one yes from Tory Krug away from being a St. Louis blue. And we didn't <laughs> know about Sean Couturier. And, and if Sean Couturier couldn't play, then everything is different with the Philadelphia Flyers because a lot of players are out of place down the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, everybody's playing up one, and you've seen that before. That doesn't fit, right? It, it it just doesn't it doesn't work, and it unsettles your second line, your third line, because your third line center is now your second line center, and your second line center is your first line center. Mm-hmm. But to me, the fact that Sean Couturier could play kind of made everything possible here. Now, good on Owen Tippett, good on Travis Konechny, uh, good on mm-hmm. Cam York. He's been really good, mm-hmm. been really mm-hmm. good. And as we just mentioned, Sean Walker has popped, and Sammy Erson has saved it in nets. But to me, the whole thing was all about could Sean Couturier still play? And the answer is I'll, yes. Thankfully. I'll I'll go I'll agree with that. I'll give that like 70%. The other 30% for me is what what does this team look like based on expectation, based on what's on the roster under John Tortorella? Like there was always that question mark of okay, they're going a little bit younger. Yeah. You know, they weren't expected yeah. to be a playoff team. Like, is there was like legit questions of whether or not this guy was the right coach for where this team was in its maturation. And first of all, he he was. He's gotten great performances out of players this year, uh, and done a really masterful job in 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 uh, in working behind the scenes and and knowing when to. I was talking to Cam Atkinson about this because he's essentially like the torts whisperer on this team, having played for him in Columbus <laughs> and, and now in Philly. And I yeah. said to him, I said, you know, how much work do you have to do to kind of like let these guys know what John means when he's when he's saying something behind the scenes? And 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 the thing I think that he said and other players have said is that he knows when to jump in and be torts, but for a, a lot of it, he's given them agency and, and allowed them to kind of you know find their way as a locker room. So. Like to me, as much as and I agree on Couturier. Like if he's if he can't answer the bell, this we're not even having a conversation about the Flyers. They're in the lottery at this nope. point. But the other part of it too is nope. like Torch yep. has done a really really good job understanding the roster, understanding what the 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 younger players on this roster need, and and kind of fostering that to the point where the again every time you want to count this team out, they win like four games in a row, and and they're and they're solidifying their spot. Uh, in, in third place in the East. And I know that in, in intimately because I'm a Devils fan and I've been waiting for them to fall off <laughs> for two months. <laughs> uh, you know what I can't help but thinking, though, with John Tortorella in Philadelphia? Because I think a lot of us have, have looked at this and said, okay, so what is it about Tortorella in this situation that works? And the one thing that I keep coming back to with Torts in Philly is he's been given a chance because this has been like – the Philadelphia Flyers have been wide open about this. You know, like, to their credit, we are rebuilding here. Mm-hmm. Like, even for a playoff spot, if we get the right offer for Walker, guess what? If we get a nice offer for Morgan Frost, guess what? Um, so I wonder if part of this is, and coaches 
don't always have this luxury. And we saw this first with John Tortorella and Cam York. And it is John Tortorella, because they're going through a rebuild and maybe expectations are low. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the first time John Tortorella has been able to test players the way that he really wants to test them without the authority of time getting in the way. So mm-hmm. hear me out on this one. You sure. look at all John Tortorella's stops. It's been like Tortorella comes in because we need to win, damn it. Just like he <laughs> won in Tampa, damn it. It's going to be like this in New York. It's going to be like this in Vancouver. And look what this disaster in Columbus. We need someone in here that can win right now, damn it. And it's going to be John Tortorella. But with the Philadelphia Flyers, it is... John, this is a rebuild. And now if you're Tortorella, because how many times has he has Tortorella said, we need to figure out who wants to be here and who doesn't want to be here. Now, uh-huh. I'm firmly convinced of a couple of things, not at this past training camp, but the training camp previous. When they sent down Cam York to the American Hockey League, part of it was, I'm sure that he wasn't at the level that Torts wanted, but two, I think that was a test. Mm. Because when he sent Cam York down, remember how much he blasted Cam York? Yeah. About, you know, first round draft pick, no one's walking in, handing you a spot and all that. And it was just before, I think it was just before Christmas wish. They called him back up. And what did Tortorella do? It was praise, heaping praise. The kid did the right thing. The kid went to the American Hockey League and worked his way back up. I'm convinced that that was the first Tortorella test of those Philadelphia Flyers players. And probably in his own way with the majority of those players, he's put them through tests to see who wants to be there and who doesn't want to be there because he doesn't have someone above him, either Briere or Jones, like anybody above him, Dan Hilferty, mm-hmm. saying, we need some wins here. This is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know what? Whatever happens this year, that's fine. We're rebuilding. Just keep the Rangers fans out of the Wells Fargo and everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you do you think Torts has looked better in hindsight because of how bad Pierre Luc Dubois has been in LA? Do you think like Torts was early was was an early uh, you know he he heard the Garage Band before it signed major label on on PLD? <laughs> I think people when they've they've looked at what happened with well first of all. That shift, like the Columbus shift, I think there was a lot of sympathy towards Tortorella after watching that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think about, um, I think about Dubois as a restricted free agent uh, around the draft in Montreal, and what the vibe coming out of his camp was. And we looked back at John Tortorella in Columbus and probably said, you know what, he wasn't getting. out of Pierre-Luc Dubois and Winnipeg probably not getting 100% out of Pierre-Luc Dubois. And now we look at Los Angeles, despite the fact that he scored two goals last night against Columbus Blue Jackets, interestingly enough. um, They probably haven't got the 100% out of Pierre-Luc Dubois yet either. I think think a lot of people are wondering if anyone will ever uh, get the 100% consistently out of Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's not for lack of potential. That's there. But do we ever cross over and turn potential into actual? I don't know. But yes, I do yeah, think I that we look back at the uh, the Tortorella PLD feud and say, you know what? If you were pro Pierre Luc Dubois all the way in that situation, maybe a part of you has said, you know what? Eh, maybe Tortorella had a point here. Yeah, exactly. Trust. What about trust you? I've, I've, you told, I've told you. 
I, I think the same. I think the same. I was going to say that I, I think I've told you in the past that like my one of my more rewarding moments I've ever had at ESPN was a, a night where me and uh, John Tortorella were in the same studio watching a game together, and like you know, you don't often get the 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 uh, the chance to kind of get the the insight from a coach and and get the the ongoing dialogue yeah, as he watches the game kind of off the record. Like it's it's a, such an insightful thing. Like there's a lot a lot going on with that guy. He's, a, he's such an interesting figure. Like, I was just talking to somebody about his time uh, with the Rangers uh, back in the day. I was talking to Ryan Callahan about that, actually. And just, like, how mm-hmm. much he's changed through the years of, you know, like, being volcanic, going after Larry Brooks. It probably reached this apex with the, with the situation in Vancouver, right, with the Bob Hartley thing, right? Yeah. And, then, and then he goes to Columbus, and I, I feel like he's... I would love to read a book he, if he ever wrote one about his journey through emotional maturity as an NHL head coach. I'd, I'd buy that book on day one because I'm fascinated by how he's become the person that he is now versus the, where he was a decade ago. You know those books where you have everybody around the person's orbit write chapters on that person? So you never really deal with the primary person that you're that you're that you're writing about, but you have everybody else write about him. It's like, uh, what's the uh, Kurosawa movie Rashomon? Yeah, where there's like the murder that takes place. Gilligan's Island did a spoof on this actually years and years later. So don't think that I'm too highbrow here because you know uh, the the skipper and Gilligan were part of this uh, this ripoff of Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> but Rashomon essentially was essentially <laughs> was essentially you know a murder takes place and then the rest of the movie is seen through a number of the different characters, but it's the exact same event. See, I've always loved either documentaries like that or books like that, bi- uh, biographies like that. So I think like someone from the Buffalo Sabres when he was an assistant coach or Rochester or Tampa or Vancouver or Columbus, Mm -hmm. people around his orbit through all of his stops. That to me would be a fascinating one. So uh, are you just like workshopping a new book idea here on the show? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, and somebody steal it because I honestly think that like (laughs) he's he's not a guy that loves to talk about himself. So if we were ever going to get that like glimpse, it might have to be a bunch of people that played for him or – hired him or fired him and uh and that'd make for a good read yeah he's uh as we all know a big dogs guy he also has a son who serves and he has as i'm told a son who serves uh, very much on the front line like whites of the eyes like you know the the old saying about you know the closer you get to the front line the less you talk about it after like that's as as i understand it like that's one of john Tortor like that's john tortorella's son um, so I, there's a there's a lot going on with uh, with Tortorella on and off the ice as well. I'm with you. I think he's one of the most fascinating guys uh, in the entire NHL uh, on the ice or, or off the ice. And even just to hear the tie story in Philadelphia, where a fan almost choked him out uh, <laughs> on the bench, and Jim Pizzatelli had to run in with the scissors and cut his tie, or else he was going out. According uh, to to Brad May, who was on the Sabres bench at that point. Did I ever tell you that story, Wish? I, I don't think you have. No. So he's coaching and the assistant coach of the Buffalo Sabres. Brad May's on the bench. End of a period. Tortorella is screaming at a fan who's banging on the glass behind him, behind the Buffalo Sabres bench. End of the period. Torts spins around to say something to the guy. His tie goes over the glass and the <laughs> fan grabs the tie. Philadelphia grabs the tie, puts his feet up on the glass and starts pulling. And maybe <laughs> tells me a story that he sees like all of a sudden like all the color draining out of John Tortorella's face. And Jim Pitts 
Satali, longtime Buffalo Sabres trainer, uh, the guy that saved Clint Malarchuk's life, sprung into action, old uh, Vietnam medic, um, and he jump, jumps in, jumps into action with a pair of scissors and cuts John Tortorella's tie as he goes splashing back into the Buffalo Sabres bench and saves Tortorella's life wow. from a Flyers fan that was about to choke him out with his own tie. And, and that, he coaches that the friends, Philadelphia Flyers. And that, friends, is why we don't have ties in hockey anymore. <laughs> <laughs> ah, very good. We've all gone to overtime in a shootout. Uh, listen, you be good. We uh, have to hustle. We didn't even get to your other piece as well, uh, which I want to get into as, uh, as well about, you know, executives, uh, trade deadline predictions, players oh, yeah. and teams to watch. So let me ask you this one then. So if it's not Sean Walker, because there's the great line about every year, there's a Sean Walker. Um, who are you most curious about? Wish and, and is that answer Pittsburgh after that loss last night against the Islanders? Easily, but, but, but not for the purposes of like... <laughs> I saw a report through like every, it's a fire sale except for the core. I'm like, no, okay, no, 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 no. great, great. We're all on pins and needles <laughs> to see where Lars Eller ends up. No, it's Gensel. It's all Gensel. It's, it's going to be not only yeah. a player if he's healthy enough. Again, we don't know what the deal is there, but like if he's healthy enough, he is a game breaking player for somebody who's on the cusp of winning a cup. He has shown he can play with high end talent. Imagine him in Edmonton. Imagine him in Vancouver. Like it would be magic. But it would also then tell us everything we need to know about where Kyle Dubas is with this Penguins team. And then the, the real fun is mm-hmm. going to begin in Pittsburgh if, in fact, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Jake Gensel is, is playing elsewhere after the trade deadline. Vegas Golden Knights, Jake Gensel. Thoughts? Yeah, my thought is that uh, we'll see uh, what the trajectory for injury recovery for Mark Stone is and then will act accordingly <laughs> on whether they can fit Jake Gensel into the cap situation. No, the interesting thing with Vegas is like, the, I mean, if you are talking about the Penguins, like, like you know, fire sale, whatever, yeah. like, I mean, consider Riley Smith laundered, right? I mean, that's somebody you figure would come back immediately if they have the wherewithal oh, yeah. to do so. That's what I was going to say. They may be able to get both, depending on what happens with their uh, salary cap situation. Hey, maybe they can the, finally uh, this, this uh, land Eric Carlson. There. Maybe they could finally land Eric Carlson. George McPhee was very close to doing that in their inaugural season. Maybe it all comes full circle now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look Probably at you not. tying that up. Um, okay, you be no, you be good. We'll uh, we'll talk in seven days, pal. All right, thanks. Thanks, everybody.